0: Our reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Richard, very much. Last week, I was preaching about Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. He's made us to know him, to delight in him, in his creation, to be rested and restored. Today we're thinking about Jesus, the Lord of the harvest. Uh, he is at work in the whole world. His kingdom will never end. Indeed, as I said, if the increase of his kingdom, uh, that will never end. It's growing, there's a great harvest, and we all have a part to play in it. And uh, we need to get this balance right between rested, being well Sabbathed, and involved in the harvest. So let's pray now that the Lord of the harvest will speak to us about our part in that as well. Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence. You are the Lord of the harvest. We praise you for those who prayed for us, who told us about you, whether that was parents or children or youth workers or others. We praise you for coming to know you. And we thank you that you have a part for every one of us in this great harvest uh, field of yours. Send your spirit now. Speak to us through the words of scripture, speak to use my words, speak to us we pray in every way and show us what you would have us do in your service and we ask it in your great name, Amen. Uh, On Friday lunchtime many of us were privileged to be at Norman Warren's funeral which took place at St Mark's. Norman had been the vicar of this church from 1963 to 1977 and under God, God had used him to restore this church. It had, 1962, it had really reached a fairly low ebb. Uh, By 1963, they'd tried 11 vicars and they'd all turned it down uh, and the bishop summoned Norman to come. He said, come and have a go, see what you can do. Uh, On the worst day, there were only about 10 in the congregation. The place leaked, it was dark, it was cold. Uh, he said, if you can't do anything, don't worry, we'll pull it down. And by God's grace, God used Norman to rebuild a healthy parish church. And it's a great privilege to be building on the foundations that he relayed. Alongside that, he wrote the booklet, Journey Into Life, through which thousands came to living faith, perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps even into the millions. We just don't know. But Norman now does know. <laughs> He's in glory. And we don't know how the Lord uses us in his harvest field. We get some clues. But now Norman knows. Uh, When we get to glory, the things that really count from our lives, we will discover. (laughs) And the things we thought were so important, we may realize, (laughs) weren't so. We get to play a part in this harvest field. And one day the Lord of the harvest will reveal how he's used us. Uh, 14 years ago, my own dad died. He was a vicar of the same generation of Norman. They were friends. Dad had a very different ministry. He was buried away in villages uh, with an amazing intercessory prayer ministry. But he was a remarkable one-to-one worker with people. He was 72, so relatively young when he died suddenly. Just the week before he died, he'd been at a prayer meeting in the church he had retired to. And someone there had a picture for him which they didn't have a chance to share with him, and they thought they'd share with him in due course. Uh, Dad died very suddenly, and he didn't have the chance to share this picture, but he was asking the Lord what it meant, and he wrote to me. Uh, I was preaching at Dad's funeral, and I used this. The picture was of Dad going into a large room full of people, and the guy had no idea what that was about. But as he prayed on it, after Dad died, he realized it was a room in heaven full of all the people, that dad had led to the Lord or that God had used. Uh, A wonderful harvest field. And you and I get to play a part in that. Now, not everybody will be used to lead as many to faith as a Norman Warren or a Billy Graham, or for that matter, as my dad. But what about the people who led Billy Graham to faith or Norman to faith? Or who taught them in their children's Sunday school groups or youth groups or work with them as students. We all get a part to play in this or who uh, work with them as colleagues or neighbours or family members. Every one of us has a part to play. Uh, Jesus used various images in this. We're going to focus on the harvest today, but it's very similar uh, to when Jesus called the disciples who were fishermen and said, I will make you fishers of people, fishers of men and men and women. Uh, the idea is, whether it's fishing or whether it's harvest, or if you're a cleaner, God will use, it, use you to clean up people's lives for him, that he will use you in this great work of his kingdom, which is growing for all eternity. Uh, Jesus used the harvest field a few times. Here we have on the screens from John 4. This is the story where Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria. Jesus and his disciples didn't have to go through Samaria. Normally, the Jews would avoid Samaria. They didn't get on with the Samaritans. Jesus felt a divine compulsion to go through Samaria. It's the middle of the day, they rested a well, the disciples go into the village to buy food, and a woman comes to the well to draw water, an unusual time. Turns out she was a social outcast. She'd been married five times. We have no sense whether it was her fault or the men's fault, we don't know. But clearly she was avoiding everybody else who were having their siesta. And she meets Jesus, and Jesus gently, uh, as it were, opens her up. And reveals his love for her and she goes back to the town and says come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did well that's going on the disciples uh, sort of chatting with Jesus they brought their lunch back what are you doing talking with a woman and Jesus says this my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work don't you have a saying it's still four months till harvest I tell you open your eyes and look at the fields they are ripe for harvest And I like to picture at that point the people coming out from the town and Jesus saying, look, here is a harvest field wide open. Uh, A few verses later in verse 42 of John 4, we read this. The people of the town said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know this man really is the saviour of the world. The disciples would have been amazed that there was going to be any spiritual harvest in Samaria. They thought they were a godless lot who were beyond the pale. But God was at work there. Uh, Just this morning, I read the story of Jonah. Many of you are reading through the Bible in a year using Nicky Gumbel's lectionary and comments. And we reached Jonah this morning. It is, by the way, brilliant. If you haven't come across that, it's the most brilliant discipleship year for someone young in the Christian faith. Really helpful, and I'll commend it to you in January again when it starts again. The book of Jonah, God takes Jonah the prophet and says, go to Nineveh. Nineveh, a godless, pagan, immoral town full of corruption and violence. And Jonah says, no way, and goes the other way. He's caught up in a big storm. He's thrown overboard. He gets swallowed by a big fish. He becomes vomited onto the land, And then God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And I think one of the lessons from Jonah is it's better to do what God says first time. (laughs) You can go through all that if you like and then do it second time, but do it first time. Jonah goes to Nineveh, to this godless, terrible, corrupt, violent city, and says repent. And they do. And there is a revival. And from the king down to the the lowest, there's a turning to God. There's a salvation going on. Utterly surprising to the people of Israel that God would have a harvest field in Nineveh. And Jonah's fed up. He goes and complains, God, I'm really fed up. I knew you'd have compassion on them. You do. It's really fed up. I wish you'd destroy them. So He wasn't the best role model for us, except he did eventually do what God said, and God had a harvest field beyond what he was expecting. Here we are in St. Paul's church, named after St. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted the church. The church would have been amazed to know that God was going to save this man. But Saul of Tarsus became St. Paul, the most unlikely convert. God is preparing a harvest field all over his world. He loves your family, your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues, the people in this town, the people in this nation, all around the world. And uh, Jesus told the disciples to open their eyes to the harvest that's around. And to pray to the Lord of the harvest, uh, to raise up workers, and we need to be prepared to be the answer to our own prayer. Uh, As we read in the reading, Matthew 9, 37 to 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So let's ask the Lord to send out workers into his harvest field and he will send each of us to different places. We were hearing about our children and youth work earlier. We have a wonderful children and youth work. None of us sees the whole thing together because we have two services on a Sunday morning and the evening and then all the stuff that happens midweek. During my sabbatical, I had got sent various things and I read some statistics about children and youth work nationally, which are really sad. The number of churches that have children and youth work is declining. Uh, in the Church of England, and obviously, mercifully, thank God for lots of other churches as well who are doing a good job, uh, 30% of Anglican churches have nobody under 16 at all. 35% have fewer than five under 16. Now, fair enough, some, some are in small villages in different places. But 65% of Church of England churches have fewer than five. Only 30 Church of England churches have more than 100 under 16s with them on a Sunday. We're one of those. That's extraordinary. I always knew that we had a remarkable ministry with children and youth. It is hard work, which is presumably why so few other churches are doing it. But if God calls you to get involved in that harvest field, I remember when God called Ed to get involved in it, who was speaking earlier. I love hear, hearing him and his joy in it. That is a tremendous harvest field, teaching our children and young people to follow the Lord Jesus. And who knows what they will do uh, in the next, uh, as, as they grow up. But there are many other harvest fields, the world of work as well, family and friends. Uh, now, I've got three main points from this passage in Matthew. I've got loads of other ones, as always. And there's one overarching point, which is to pray to the Lord of the harvest. But let's do the first main point. Verse 35, Matthew 9:35. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. The first point is that Jesus' ministry is one both of word and deed. He proclaims and teaches, and he demonstrates it in very practical ways that God is at work. He heals every disease and sickness of those who came to him. Uh, that's a wonderful balance, and that is the ministry that we're all called to be involved in. There's a ministry of explaining. Uh, now, we may not be very good at that, but you can tell your story. And you can always say, come to Alpha or come to church. And, uh, or... But there's also a practical care. Now, whether that's involved in some of the things like street pastors and food bank, or whether it is praying for people who are unwell, there is this balance And it wasn't just Jesus that did this proclaiming and healing. He told his 12 disciples to do the same thing too. So the next chapter, over the page, if you've got the Bibles open, Matthew 10, 5 to 8, Jesus sent out the 12 with these instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or to the Samaritans. Not yet, that would come. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. That would have been a demanding challenge. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. But it's the same thing. It's a message of proclamation and healing. Not just the one, not just the other, but the both and. Some people say, oh, that was Jesus and the disciples. Ours, we're not meant to be healing the sick as well. Well, Jesus sent out the 72 with the same instruction. Luke chapter 10, you get this. Uh, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him. Always oh, interesting he sends people in pairs. If you're on your own in your workplace as a Christian, pray for the Lord to bring someone else or pray for the Lord to show you who else is a Christian and then you can be a team together. Uh, the Lord sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, familiar words, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Then he says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves, which I think is the worst pep talk ever. (laughs) And it is completely miraculous that they went. He said, you're going to go, you'll feel vulnerable, you'll be scared, but go. Later I would be with it, And the miracle, they went. He said, don't take supplies, don't take a purse or bag on sandals, don't greet people on the road. That doesn't mean don't say hello, but a greeting in Middle East terms would involve a meal and a long conversation. uh, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. The worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Same thing. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come to you. Same thing. Healing and Proclamation. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning. But be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So they're to go and to find a person of peace who's really interested and stay with them and really talk with them and meet their friends. Same thing for us. We pray the Lord would show you a person of peace who's interested, who's interested in your story, who wants to know more. Get to know them, go deeper with them. They'll introduce you to their friends. If someone's not interested, Jesus says, move on. That's fine. We pray that the Lord would show us where we're to be. And it's this twin thing, proclaiming the good news of his kingdom, healing the sick. Some people say, oh, that was only for then. But Jesus, in his great commission, said this, Matthew 28. This is to all Christians everywhere, 18 to 20. He came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Obviously, apart from the bit about healing the sick. No, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is our great commission. We are to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and to demonstrate it, including with prayer for healing. Um, Different cultures, you go about it in different ways. But in our day and age, it is a tremendously powerful thing to say to someone who's not well, may I pray for you? They can always say no. We've thought about this quite a lot as a church. But a lot of people will say, oh, yes, thank you. Then to say, may I pray for you now? And if they go, oh, well, not sure about that. You say, all I want to do, if I may, is lay a hand on your shoulder and pray that God will come and bless you and meet you and lay his healing hand on you. Now, we all come across people who are struggling. It might be on the train, it might be at work, it might be neighbours. And often we're just very British. Oh, poor you, I'm so sorry. And on we move. When that happens, say, may I pray for you? It's part of our great commission to bring healing in God's name. He's the one who heals. But if we don't pray, it's much less likely to happen. There's also a telling of our story. And it, people are far more interested to know about our story if they've encountered something of God in their lives. The number of times when you offer to pray for someone beyond the church, they'll say, oh, what happened then? And you say, well, I don't know, but can I tell you a bit of my story? Uh, but if we don't take that risk, lambs among wolves, uh, it won't happen. Uh, a word particularly to you engineers out there. Our town is full of engineers. And when talking to engineers, they often say, Well, I'd like some evidence, please. I want, I, you know, I like the facts and the evidence. Uh, we're going to give you all on the way out a postcard saying, Do you believe in God? with Genexis on the bottom. Genexis is a series of meetings organised by other churches in Coventry Cathedral on four Monday evenings in September, where they've got some top level academics who are into everything DNA and the Big Bang and brain consciousness and all the and all these sorts of things who will be giving not high-level academic lectures but more sort of TED-like talks. Uh, but these are people with pointing to the existence for a creator. You engineers get a stack of these. Uh, be open about your faith. When people say, oh well I want some evidence, just say, oh well there's all these things going on. Do come. And obviously there are those who'd be interested who aren't engineers and I commend that to you Uh, Those postcards are designed to be given away. There's another bigger flyer that's more aimed at the church, explaining what's going on. Uh, We'll say more about that as we come September. But we offer to pray. We can tell something of our story. Let me move on. That was the first point. Jesus' ministry is one of word and deed. Second point is about Jesus' great compassion for people. This is Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't know how you find your compassion levels. I find, if I watch the news every day, I get utterly overwhelmed by the amount of tragedy in the world around, our news, the newspapers. We can get compassion fatigue. Juliet and I are chatting about perhaps not watching the news at 10 o'clock. We watch it at 10 o'clock at night before bed and you're filled with the tragedy of the world, and then you go and try and sleep. I think we may stop watching it at 10 o'clock, do it other times a day. The danger with being too active and not taking our Sabbaths is we can get compassion fatigue, or there's so much need around, well, what can you do? We're to take our Sabbaths, so we're rested and we have some of the Lord's energy. And then when we encounter people, some of the Lord's compassion will come across. I noticed when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. If you go through the Gospels, Jesus met someone and was filled with compassion. And when I see all the global stuff going on, I do have a bit of compassion fatigue. When you meet someone who's struggling, then some of the Lord's compassion wells up in you. And if you have that experience of the Lord's compassion welling up within you for this person you're talking to, I suspect that's a nudge from the Holy Spirit to say, may I pray for you? Is there something I can do for you? So if you're talking with someone in need, you well up with compassion for them. May I pray for you? (laughs) They can always say no. (laughs) May I pray for you now? They can always say no. But if they do, Say, okay, you can just pray the Lord would come and meet them. And once they've experienced some of that, who knows what will come from it. That's a word about compassion. Uh, Third thing I notice in our passage from verse 37 and 38 is the first thing we're commanded to do with all of this need, all of this great commission, this harvest, the first thing is to pray. Verses 37 to 38. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He didn't say the harvest is plentiful, rush out, there's so much to do. Pray, first of all, that the Lord would raise up more workers. So for all of us in our church, let's pray the Lord would raise up workers for our children and young people's ministry. As Adam said, I'm sure the Lord is calling people. We just need to pray they recognize it. If you're not sure whether that's you or not, offer to go and get involved. Have a go, see. When you go in and work with the children and young people, you will either go, wow, I really enjoyed this. I want to do more. Or you will go, the people who work with our young people and children are amazing. It's not me. I'm going to pray for them. But either way is good. We pray that God would raise up workers. But you want to pray, well, Lord, where do you want me to serve as well? You pray for our own eyes to be opened. As Jesus said to the disciples in John 4, open your eyes, look. God is at work everywhere. Lord, where do you want me to be involved? Uh, he knows people he's preparing. In, in fishing terms, to change the metaphor back from harvest, you remember the story where the disciples catch nothing and then Jesus shouts out, let your nets down on the other side, and they catch this great catch. He knows where the fish are. You may have been working away in God's harvest field and say, Lord, I'm exhausted. I've done nothing. I've got nothing. I'm just so ineffective. Ask him to open your eyes where he wants you to be involved with. Pray that he'd bring you a person of peace or show you, as someone you can begin to share some of your faith with. And if they're at all interested, you can share more. And then pray with that person and invite them until the Lord opens their eyes too. Uh, so how does this all, how, all this work? We are to pray... Uh, I want to encourage you to read through the book of Acts again. And just in the last three or four minutes of the sermon, uh, would you take the Bibles? And I just want to point a few things out to you. So turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament. We'll put these things up on the screen anyway. Um, Book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, book of Acts, page 1092, 1093. In the book of Acts is Luke's volume two talking about what Jesus continued to do after the resurrection. He's still the Lord of the harvest. He's still directing mission. But he's doing it through his spirit as people pray. And in the book of Acts, we find all sorts of stories of groups of people, individuals, leadership teams, as they pray, God leading them into harvest. So the first thing we find in the book of Acts is the disciples. There are about 120 of them in that day. In verse 14 of Acts 1... We read that they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And on the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, presumably praying together again. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. But it started with corporate prayer. In our church, and it's not just our church, but I think this is right across the nation, we've got weaker at corporate prayer. We've got much stronger over the last generation on small groups and sharing life together and worship, but we've got weaker on corporate prayer. And one of the things I'm sure of is that if we are going to seek the Lord of the harvest together, we need to find more effective ways of doing corporate prayer in our small groups, in our ministry teams, and as the church as a whole. And over the summer, we'll certainly have some times, particularly as the small groups don't always meet, to have some times of praying together for the Lord of the harvest and thinking about how do we do corporate prayer as a whole church as well as in small groups. But uh, First of all, this great missionary uh, day of Pentecost came as they were praying corporately. You get the same thing over the page in chapter 4, verse 31. The disciples have been persecuted. They don't come back and say, oh, Lord, help, please protect us. They come back and pray for boldness with everybody. And in chapter 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they met was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak the word of God more boldly. Wouldn't it be brilliant if in our day we prayed, Lord, give us courage, and we're much more confident about sharing our faith in Jesus? Uh, For all of my life, it's felt like I've grown up in a kind of post-Christian society. People have thought they've known about Jesus and have rejected. It now feels like a sea change, that we're almost in a new pre-Christian society. Probably at least half our society has never heard of the good news of Jesus at all. Uh, People are open to hearing what they haven't heard yet. And we need to pray for a fresh confidence to talk about it. And it starts with prayer. That's corporate prayer, but it also happens individually. I love Ananias in Acts 9. Uh, Here he is, a Christian in Damascus, just minding his own business, having his quiet time in the morning. Good morning, Lord. Uh, I don't know how you are first thing in the morning. Some days, hello, Lord, it's great to be up. A lot of the time, hello, Lord, here I am. (laughs) Uh, Here's Ananias at prayer, meditating on some of the words of Jesus, no doubt. And God speaks to him. This is Acts 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, I get thoughts in my head and I start thinking, is that me or is that you, Lord? There's only one way to find out, <laughs> That's that's to go with it. Um, and sometimes it turns out just to be me, but sometimes it turns out to be the Lord. But Ananias isn't quite ready yet. Uh, the Lord tells him a bit more. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, says Ananias, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I suspect the Lord knew that. But have you, have you ever tried saying, Lord, I think you're making a big mistake here? Uh, I've tried that one never works (laughs) he knows what he's doing so Ananias goes the Lord had said Lord says to him go this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel I'll show him how much he's going to suffer for my name so Ananias went to the house and entered it and placing his hands on Saul he said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here sent me to you So you can see again and be filled with the Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. Everybody's heard of St. Paul. Only the people who've read their Bibles have heard of Ananias, who was the person that God used. And the Lord may use you as an Ananias. As you pray, putting someone in your mind, give them a buzz, go and visit, see how they are, ask them to dinner, Uh, whatever it is, and start sharing something of the good news with them. That's one-to-one. You get church leadership teams, Acts 13, uh, verses 1-3. to three. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. There is a mixed group of leaders. I love the variety in our church leadership, but this was much more varied. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The missionary journey started. As a church leadership team, we need to spend more time seeking the Lord of the harvest. What do you want us to do? How do you want us to do that? And the same if you're leading a small group. Lord, how do you want our small group to be involved? What do you want us to do? One more uh, before I come into land. Uh, Sometimes, this is Acts 16 if you want to turn over the page, sometimes it feels like nothing's working and we get one of those things in Acts 16, Uh, Acts 16 from verse 6, Paul is on his missionary journey, Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, this is Acts 16 verse 6, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. You can bet your bottom dollar Paul was trying to preach and nothing was working. So he moves on, he tries to preach, nothing's working, he moves on, nothing's working, he moves on. Verse 7, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready, that's Luke saying he was there by then, Uh, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Macedonia is in Europe. This is where this is part of our story, how Paul first came to preach the gospel in Europe. And it came because nothing worked. And Paul kept trying until the Lord opens up a new door. If you're trying to share your faith and nothing's working, keep asking the Lord, show me, where is it? And he will lead you to the right thing. Uh, lots more I'd love to say but it's time I stop there because we're going to share communion and pray together so would you stand and I'll lead in a prayer Uh, if you're a visitor among us let me just explain how this works Uh, I'm going to lead in a prayer we're going to ask God to continue to minister to us by his Holy Spirit and we're going to be quiet for a minute or two And who knows what the Lord may do in you. He may give you a heart for getting involved in our youth and children. He may put work colleagues in your mind. He may put all sorts of different things. He is the Lord of the harvest. uh, And he will direct each of us to play a part as he wills. But let's just be still first. And I'll pray and then we'll be quiet. Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. And we bow in your presence. You tell us to pray that you would raise up more workers for your harvest field. And so we pray together. You would raise up the volunteers needed for our children and youth ministry over the next year and every other ministry you're calling us to. But much more than that, we pray you would show us how we should cooperate with you, the Lord of the Harvest, in our workplaces, in our homes and families, with our neighbours, with folks we relax with, with our friends. And we pray that right around this great nation, you would pour your spirit down on your church and call this nation back to you once again. So come Holy Spirit, come and minister to us in increasing depth what you're saying to us, impose on us, equip us. Come Holy Spirit and let's be still together. we were praying before the service a few folks had pictures one was of a sailing ship with the sails unfurled and the wind blowing and we pray Lord that you would breathe the wind of your spirit into our church family afresh and drive us on into mission we pray that for all the churches in our town with all the different strengths each one has there was a picture of someone standing in a wheat field and the wheat was really thick harvest was ripe there's a lot to do the Lord has prepared people and we have a part to play someone was reminded of Pharaoh's dream there are years of harvest and there are years of famine in the years of harvest let's harvest and then in the tough years there's also things to remember and feed on as well but these are years of harvest that are coming So, Lord, we pray for courage and grace as individuals and as your church family to cooperate with you, the Lord of the harvest. Prevent us from running ahead of you, but prevent us from lagging behind. Breathe your spirit, and may there be a new season of harvest for your kingdom in this town and this nation. And we pray it together in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.